stop saying it. Said, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad. And mean it. I'm glad. Do it with a smile. A little. Let's see some white teeth. Something. I'm glad that you came to the house of the Lord tonight. Mm. I'm sorry. I'm feeling a little under the weather today. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. I did. I did. We got our, our, um, our brother, Pastor Chad, up in the house tonight. Woo-hoo! And I know he got a word from the Lord. Fresh. Fresh bread. As he says, what's up to everybody? Sorry. I'm sorry. Thank you for the bailout, Pastor. <laughs> we got some guests up in here. Hallelujah. Thank you for coming, everybody that is here. I'm grateful to God for everybody that's here. Um, I'm grateful for God for the opportunity to be able to speak to the chosen generation, to everybody that has walked through these doors. I really, 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 really thank God that I am able to be here tonight. Um, man, if you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, if you really know what that means and you have that, just say, thank you, Jesus. If you don't, that's okay. But if you do, say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So I said, thank you, Jesus. What we're going to talk about today is pretty awesome. And you guys can't have a seat. We are going to open up in prayer, but you can sit down. Um... We're going to talk about, this is the first in a three-part series, because I've been given the opportunity to speak three weeks in a row. The three, three weeks are going to be God's love for humanity, our love towards God, and then our love towards our neighbor. So today, thank you, Pastor, we're going to talk about God's love for humanity. So if you will, just bow your heads in prayer with me as I open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, I adore you. I thank you so much for this opportunity to be here, God, and I take your word seriously. God, I commit myself to you in entirety, Lord God, for the souls that are lost, Father, that need direction, that need guidance to your kingdom, to their creator. God, I pray, Lord God, that you would use me in a way that I was not aware of, that I could be used in such a way, God. God, I pray that you help me to be little, Lord God, as you increase. Father, I pray for everybody that is in here now, Lord God, that you would do something in their lives today. Father, we love you and we thank you for this opportunity. Amen. If you don't know, if you weren't listening, my name is Chad and I have just been given the title of youth pastor. My wife and I um, are very grateful to God to, um, to have the opportunity to be able to speak to you guys continually and to shepherd you and to, sh- um, and to pastor you. Um, <coughs> God's humanity, God's love for humanity. This is an awesome topic. It really excites me because it w- it's what gives us hope to continue to live for God daily. Because I don't want to live for anybody that hates me. Right. Okay. so what we want to do is we want to go through the Bible, God's love stories to us and see where the Bible reveals to us God's love for his for his people. Because God hates sin. Be aware of that. But he loves people. All right. First off, from Genesis to Revelation, it's revealed to us. There's 66 books in the Bible. In every book, you will see the love of God revealed to you. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and basically it's just love letters. If God takes the time to say, I'm going to leave these words for you so that you have something to reflect on, so that you are thoroughly equipped to do every good work. If God does that, then it must be important. And what he does throughout this book is he shares his love in different ways, and the first way is in creation. First of all, let me just kind of give you a glimpse of how big our God is. And I got this from Louis Giglio. If you guys seen the How Great Is Our God? I tried to show it on a Wednesday. It is an awesome video. It's about kind of like astronomy, but it brings God into the picture, and it glorifies God. So this is what I got from Louis Giglio to try to give you an idea of how big God is. And this big, great, enormous God loves you. Louis Giglio, in this, in this movie that he has, and I have it if you want to borrow it, he talks about a whirlpool galaxy, or better known as the darling of astronomy. 
Now, our galaxy, just to give you an understanding, is the Milky Way. Okay, that Pluto, Saturn, all that's in the Milky Way. We have one star in our galaxy. It's called the sun. Well, this whirlpool galaxy is way far away. To be exact, is 5.88 trillion light years away from Earth. 5.88 trillion light years. And to make that even bigger, a light year, one light year, is 31 million miles away. 31 million miles is a light year, and 5.88 trillion light years is where, you do, the, do the math, 31 million times 5.88 trillion, that number, whatever it is, is where the whirlpool galaxy is. And God created that, and everything in between. That's how enormous God is. And to go ahead and elaborate on that, I'm going to talk a little bit more about it. It would take, he, he, he gave me this from the video. You would have to travel 186,000 miles per second for 31 million years to arrive at the Whirlpool Galaxy. So if you want to go there, I'm sorry you don't have 31 million years to live, but it would take you, you would have to go 186,000 miles per second for that many years to get there. Blows my mind, and that's why I keep repeating myself. I'm sorry. There are 300 billion stars inside of this galaxy, and this galaxy is one of hundreds of billions of galaxies. That's how big God is. The sun, just to, again, just to try to show you what these numbers mean, the sun is 93 miles away from Earth. So you got 5.88 trillion times 31 million, whatever that number is, it's really big, and you have 93 miles. That's a big gap. There's a big difference, and the sun's far away. So that just, again, it's trying, trying to give you a visualization here. So it's 93 miles away from the Earth, and it's 1 million times the size of the Earth. And this is something that Nate enjoyed whenever he seen the movie. If the Earth was a golf ball, if the Earth was a golf ball, a little golf ball, I should have brought one, but I didn't. But if the Earth was a golf ball, then the sun, this is the comparison in size, is 15 diameters in length. So <laughs> you can kind of use me as a measuring stick. I'm like five foot four. So three of me, basically, is how big in diameter the sun is. All right? And the Earth is a golf ball. So that's the size comparison. You got a golf ball and you got 15 feet in diameter. That's the sun. Now, if the earth was a golf ball, you could fit 960 of those golf balls inside of the sun. So you got 960,000, did I say 960? I meant 960,000 earths you could fit inside the sun. Or a school bus full of golf balls would fit in the sun. So a school bus full of earths, but that doesn't make sense because, yeah. A school bus full of golf balls, if the earth was a golf ball. Now, considering that... God has left us his word with a huge indication. It's a huge indication that he loves us and he wants a relationship. He wants a relationship from us with him. That's what he desires and that's what he declares in his word all throughout scripture. Think about it. Who do you write letters to? When you write a letter, who do you write a letter to? Somebody you care about? There's always a reason. The only time I wrote a letter to somebody I didn't know was whenever I was trying to handle an issue like, you know, my bill's wrong or something. I got to write a letter because corporate wants me to write a letter or something crazy like that. But most of the time when I write a letter, it's because of somebody I care about. Somebody who's incarcerated, a girlfriend, you know, back when I had a girlfriend. My wife, my children. I like to get a journal, a composition journal, and I like to write in the journal so that whenever they get older, I can give it to them. So you write to people you care about. Now, no one writes to someone and puts a letter in a mailbox to be sent out for no reason. So there's always a purpose, and God's purpose was for us to be thoroughly equipped to do every good work, a valuable work, a virtuous work. That was his purpose on leaving us the scriptures. So it's pretty important. Okay? That's one way that God reveals his love for humanity. The second way is in creation. Now, in six days, God created everything. On the seventh day, he rested. If you didn't know, now you know. The first day, he created the heavens and the earth and the light. So there was just void darkness and he spoke and light came into existence Excuse me. the second day was a firmament firmament and this was like a, a huge expanse that covered uh in between that went all it's like a big plane that went all the way across the heavens and it separated the heavens and the earth the third day it was the earth that he created he let the dry land come up and then it was the herb that yields seed and the fruit that yields fruit with the seed inside itself so you know you go to the orange tree you can get an orange you plant the seed get another orange tree you know you could do something like that so that was the third day 
So now you got land, you got grass, you got herb that yields, you know, like wheat, you know, you get bread. So you got all this, this good stuff. It's all starting to come together here. And then the fourth day was the light. All the stars, the moon, the sun, these galaxies we talked about. So he's creating all this light. The brighter one was called day. It governed the, it governed the day. <laughs> the light was governed the day. And the darkness was called night. That's what he called it. That was the fourth day. And then on the fifth day, it was all of the water creatures and the winged birds. And the awesome thing about this is that they were all created according to its kind. Created the, all the sea creatures according to their kind, all of the winged birds according to their kind. That's what he did. Then on the sixth day, this is the most beautiful day of all, in my opinion. No, I think it's the most beautiful day to God, too. And I'm going to tell you why. But on the sixth day, he created the beasts, the cattle, and he also created the creeping things of the earth. So all of these things he created according to their kind. And then if you go further into the scripture, it says... That, well, first of all, God spoke all of these things into existence. The fruit, the sea creatures, bird, beast, cattle, creeping things, they were all created according to their kind, and God spoke them all into existence. But God did not speak man into existence. What God did was he said, let us make, not speak, let us make man in our image according to our likeliness, not according to their kind, not according to whatever species kind. So everybody who believes in evolution, I just ruined it for you, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The Bible says that he created them in the image and likeliness of God. And he said, let, him make us, let, let us make man in our image. And he formed us. So this is something that he's actually doing. This isn't, he's doing it. And then he did use his breath in some kind of way. He breathed breath into our nostrils, which gave life to our souls. That's what the Bible says. And it says it in Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 27. He also goes over it again and says it in chapter 2, verse 7. And then it's declared again in chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. And then yet again in chapter 9. Verses 6, he made man in the image of God, in the image and likeliness of himself. So you are made in the image of God Almighty, that same God that created the Milky Way galaxy, that created the sun that's so big, that created the whirlpool galaxy that's very far away. That same God is the same God that you were created in the image of. It is amazing to me, and it continues to be amazing. And what I'm trying to do is show you God's love for humanity. So it's shown in Scripture, it's shown in creation, which is part of Scripture, and it's also shown in his covenants. But before we leave away from creation, not only did God speak all of those things into existence, and then he made man and formed them, but then he said, all that great, awesome stuff that I created, I want you to have dominion over it. That fruit that yields its seed inside itself, I want you guys to use that to eat. So he made it, and he made it all perfect. And he gave it to us as a gift. So he said, have dominion over it, rule over it, be fruitful, multiply, enjoy yourselves. It's a good life. Everything's great here. Of course, mankind screwed it up. If you don't know the story, we could talk about that another day. But, yeah. In his covenants is the next place that we can find God's love for humanity. God made covenants with man from the first covenant, which was not to destroy all living things, because this is what happened. When God created all the stuff that we just talked about, man screwed it up, just like I just said. God gave them one rule. They didn't want to follow it. One rule. Some of y'all wish y'all had one rule. One rule. They didn't follow it. They rebelled against God. Immediately, they realized that they were naked. They want to try covering themselves, because now they're ashamed. So what he did was he clothed them. He said, man, you know what? I love you guys. And he clothed them. Yeah, they got punished too because God's a just God and he has to take care of business as well. The Bible says that God's judgments are true and righteous altogether. But he clothed them with even better clothing other than them leaves. Then man continued to live and dwell on earth. And they became really rebellious. And they became very evil and wicked. And God began to be grieved. And he was sorry that he even created mankind. Excuse me. It's not your fault. He was sorry that he even created mankind. So what he did was he said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to take them out. And he said he was going to destroy all of mankind. But then he seen one righteous. It was Noah. Bishop talked about Noah uh, last Sunday. So as he seen Noah, he made a covenant with Noah. And he made this covenant that he was supposed to build this ark. And we can, you know, I'm not going to talk about the whole Noah's Ark story. Most of y'all should already know that. 
but he made a covenant with Noah to not, not to destroy creation ever again. After the floods was over and the only people that survived were those who were on the ark, they get off the ark and then God makes a covenant. He says, I'm not going to destroy creation. I'm not going to destroy all living things in this manner ever again. And then he, 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 what he did was he made the rainbow and he said, you know what, I need the rainbow here so I can remember this because, you know, y'all are crazy and I know what's going to happen in the future. But, no, God, God made a covenant not to destroy all living creatures in that manner again. So, and then as the covenants continue to pour in, because there's covenants just all over the Bible, it goes on to, to the children of Israel, and he had covenants with the children of Israel basically just to protect them. He gave them the Ten Commandments, which was a covenant in itself, so they could be aware of what sin is, because now they know the difference between good and evil, all right? Obviously, they know how to do evil because that's what they continue to do. But he gave them the Ten Commandments, so now they can look at the Ten Commandments and say, okay, this is what good is, all right? This is what we need to follow right here, the Ten Commandments, so that we can be pleasing to God. And he gave a lot more laws, you know, for their protection and so that they can continue to be fruitful and multiply and please God. But this was a covenant that he established with them so that they would not experience the wrath of God in totality. And there was a lot of laws. I think it's like 600 and something laws. So they went from one rule to like 600 and something. <laughs> so that was a covenant. And that was all throughout the entire Old Testament. There's 39 books in the Old Testament. If you go through it, they're just continuing reflecting back on the law, reflecting back on the law, reflecting back on the law. And it's also they talk about it in the book of Acts and the book of Hebrews, which is in the New Testament. Now, with his people, this is all of humanity. This is the next covenant. This is the final covenant. He, had a, he, he came up with a covenant of Jesus Christ. This was the new covenant. This was where you don't have to have a high priest to go into the Holy of Holies and make these sacrifices and so forth and do all these different things that are perfect in procedure because that's how God wanted them done. You don't have to do that no more because Jesus came. He sent his son into the world to be sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. So he sent Jesus to be the new covenant for us to have relationship and not spend eternity in hell but to spend eternity with him, which is what he wanted from the beginning. These are the covenants. This is God's love and covenants because, let's face it here, when someone offends you, it, it, it can anger you, especially if it's, a, if it's a great offense and if it continues to happen. If it continues to happen, they continue to pick at you, they continue to annoy you, they continue to do the same exact offense after they said sorry, after, they, after they've turned and didn't do it, and then the next day they want to do it again. This starts to become annoying. It becomes a nuisance. And you don't want nothing to do with that guy no more. You need to repent because you need to pray for him. And you need to love him. But that's, what, that's God's love. God said, you know what? I got these covenants in place. I got a way for my people to spend eternity with me forever in the kingdom of God. And that was the covenant, the, cur the current covenant. So now that's, that's another way God shows his love, through the covenants with his people. And a part of that covenant, too, is found in Romans 8.14. Matter of fact, we haven't turned to the Bible. I got all these scriptures. We ain't even turned there today. So if you got your Bible, we'll go to 8.14, Romans 8.14. If you don't have a Bible, that's all right. I'm going to read and I'm loud. <laughs> this covenant of Jesus Christ, obviously Jesus ain't here sitting next to Pastor Aldo right now. So in addition to this covenant, whenever Jesus' time was done here and his ministry was done here, after he did all that the Father had called him to do, remember, he was born by a virgin. If you don't know now, you know, okay? His, his, his daddy's God, all right? He didn't, Mary, Mary wasn't impregnated by no man. It was God, all right? So he, he was born of a virgin, and, and, he, and he lived a normal life as a human being, being tempted in the same ways that we are tempted, but yet he didn't fall. But once his ministry was done, he promised the Holy Spirit. He said, look, I'm going to send down the Holy Spirit to be a comforter, to, to give you power so that you can still be in fellowship with the Father. Thank you, Jesus. Y'all can say it. Thank you, Jesus. 8.14 says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. This is the covenant I'm talking about here. So he left the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're led by the Spirit of God, and don't think that you're led by the Spirit of God if you're doing whatever you want to do and you don't ever read the Bible. You are not led by the Spirit of God. 
okay? So if you were deceived in that way, then God's good. God loves you. That's what we're talking about. Repent, open up the Bible tonight, and open up the Bible again tomorrow, and again the next day, and again the next day, and again the next day, and I would go on forever until somebody shot me. All right, so we go to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 16. Hebrews 10, 16, and this is a quote from the author of this book. There's a lot of arguments about who the author is. A lot of people think it's Paul, but that's not important right now. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 16, it's also found in the book of Jeremiah. Hebrews 10, 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and into their minds. I will write them. This is done by the Holy Spirit. As you open up the word and you are led by God, remember in Romans 8, 14, you are led by the spirit of God. He'll begin to write these laws under your heart and into your mind. And this is how you can be led. So this is the covenants. God loves us through covenants. God loves us through creation. The third way is Jesus Christ. A big part of that covenant I'm talking about, Jesus Christ, you know, the one that was born by a virgin. Jesus is the image of God. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 4, 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. So I said, Jesus is the image of God. So if you want to know, man, what's up? What's up with God? God's so big. You know, who is he? What is he like? Well, there's four books that were written by eyewitnesses, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first four books of the New Testament. Remember I said that if you're not reading the Bible and you think you're being led by the Spirit, you're deceived. Open your Bible tomorrow. It's a good place to start. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All right? These four books are eyewitness accounts of people who served with Jesus and recorded information, all inspired by God. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded? Who do you believe? Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. What I wanted to point out of that whole scripture was, it said, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God? I'm just pointing out that Jesus is the image of God, and it's in God's authoritative word. It's not just my word saying it. Colossians 1.15, please. Colossians 1.15. Again, I'm pointing out that Jesus is the image of God, according to scripture, not according to Chad Reyes, because Chad Reyes don't know nothing apart from Christ. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? Jesus is the image of God. This is the image that we were created in. Remember, God said, let us make man in our image, in the likeness, in our likeness. You were created in the image of Jesus Christ. He is the best example of God's love shown to humanity because he showed us in reality and in direct correlation. He walked upon this earth. The places that it talks about in the Bible where he lived, you can go there today. Matter of fact, they tried to make the Holy Land over in Orlando. If you want to get a little simulation of what it's like to be over there. But he walked with us. He ate bread with us. He slept. He did things that we do. He grew up as a child and into adolescent years and to a young adult. And he always exalted the Father. This is the image of whom you were created in. I'm not speaking opinions. I'm speaking facts based on God's authoritative scripture. In Jesus Christ, God shows his love through the recordings of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We are told of many things that Jesus did as he walked on earth. And these I'm going to read. I got a long list and some of them I want to turn to. But I just went through the book of John, just like I'm instructing you guys to do, to go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Start there. Read those scriptures. And that's all I did. And I went through the subtopics, and this is how I got this information. Very easy. This is what Jesus did. He was passionate about the house of God. And John 2.16, it says that Jesus, they were, they were the, the money traders, they were inside of the, inside of the temple, and they were, they were selling things and making profit. And that's what they were doing. They were taking advantage of people. And they were doing this in the house of God. That would be like us if we had in the foyer a booth set up, and we're, you know, buying stuff from a Christian store, you know, for one price, and we're trying to sell it for a higher profit just to make money. 
and God knows do what do God knows what with the money. So Jesus was mad. So Jesus he flipped over the tables. He said, "Man, what are you guys doing?" And he kicked them all out. So this is I'm just talking about what Jesus did. He healed the noble man's son in John 4:50. In John chapter 5 verse 8, he healed the man at the pool but Bethsaida. Now, you guys got to understand something about this man of the pool. And this is how awesome Jesus is because this guy was in need. For 38 years, he laid by this pool, lame in the legs. Probably because he didn't have no family, probably because they abandoned him. Who knows? But this pool was said to believe that it was, it, was a heal, it was a healing pool. And what he wanted to do is he just wanted to get there. You had to get there at a certain time, and I, and I forget why. I had to turn to the scripture to find out. But you had to get in this pool at a certain time in order to be healed. So every time that time came, he would be all excited, ready to get up and go. And then whew, somebody else who needed to be healed that had legs or wasn't lame in the legs got there first. So he had these lame legs, and he's laying there for 38 years just wishing he can get in the pool, and Jesus heals him. Everybody say, man, God, you're good. You guys are sleeping. Promises the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit to those who believe. We just talked about that. It's in John chapter 7 and 38. And it's also found in other places in John that I have, but I'll go into the next one. Stood up for a righteous adulterer. You guys know what an adulterer is? Anybody? If you don't know what an adulterer is, raise your hand and I'll tell you. You guys know? Okay, good. I'm glad somebody raised their hand because I was going to call somebody out. So, Daniel, you just, you just stood in the gap for all these people that don't know what an adulterer is. An adulterer is somebody who is married and then they are unfaithful to their spouse. Whenever you are unfaithful and... For all y'all who think you're innocent because you ain't married, be careful when you do get married because Jesus said anyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has committed adultery in his heart. See, God doesn't see the outward. God sees what's inside. When you think all your sins are hidden, think again. So, check this out. This is an awesome story, too. It's found in the book of John. And now, remember, I'm just telling you how Jesus shows God's love. That's, that's my whole point here, to communicate God's love for humanity. I want to show you guys through Jesus Christ. They wanted, the religious folks, what they wanted to do, because obviously the hearts were wicked, and they were going to be condemned, and they're probably in a lake of fire right now. But these were supposed to be the, the best, you know, the scribes and the Pharisees, you know, the, I'm not going to like say, you know, I'm not even going to go there, but these people were supposed to be the most religious folks. And they were trying to trick Jesus. All they wanted to do was make a mockery out of Jesus. So they brought this woman who was an adulterer, who had multiple husbands. They brought this. Look, check this woman out here, man. Moses said in the law, remember the law we talked about? Well, Moses says in the law that you're supposed to stone someone who's an adulterer. Okay? Now, Jesus didn't trump the law to say the law is wrong or incorrect, but he used discernment. After all, he was the son of God, and he knew what they were trying to do. So he drew the line in the sand, and he said, look, you have no sin, cast the first stone. Go ahead. And their jaws dropped. They're like, man, we all have sin. You know, they know that all, all, everyone's born into sin. So they walked away. And then he said to this adulterer woman, he said, where are your accusers? And she's like, they're gone. And he's like, well, I don't condemn you neither. Go and sin no more. So he didn't say, oh, I'm sticking up for this adulterer and just, yo, give me some debt. You just got them people. No, it was go and sin no more. That's what he said. But he stuck up for her from these religious folks that wanted to stone her. Do you guys know what stoning is? If you were here whenever I gave the, uh, the uh, testimony of Stephen, man, it's, it's brutal. I mean, think of a big stone. Some of them, they couldn't even pick up the real wicked people who really wanted to hurt somebody. They were like, ooh, I'm going to get this big stone. They got this real big one and tried to hit them with it. But that's what they did. That was stoning people. And they did it until the death. I should just start throwing rocks at all y'all so you guys can just be like, oh, man, don't stone me. Being stoned is no joke, man. That was serious. And Jesus saved her. That's what, that was awesome. So promises freedom from sin is another thing that Jesus does. In John chapter 8, 31 through 36, Jesus also gives sight to a blind man. This guy was blind from birth. Jesus gave him sight. This is in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Another thing Jesus did, this is showing his, that he was both man and God. Remember, his mom was a human being. Although she was a virgin, she was a human. His dad was God. So what he did was he wept. This is Coleman's favorite scripture. It's John chapter 11, verse 35. It says, 
Jesus wept. That's it. That's what it says. So Jesus wept. He cried. But then it goes on to say why he cried. Man, he was so grieved because one of his close friends, Lazarus, was, was dead. Not dying. He was dead. <laughs> so he was grieved whenever he seen that they were grieved and they were mourning and they were all upset. And he wept with compassion and sorrow. And then he raised Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11, verses 43. And the beautiful thing about this, and this is one I am going to turn to. Let's go to John chapter 11 and verse 43. And the thing I love about this is all these things I'm saying that Jesus did, it's a way that he communicates love. Remember, he is the image of God. God's love for humanity. Everything that Jesus did was a communication of God's love towards humanity. So, the miracles that he did, he did for the glory of the Father. He didn't do it so people would look at him and be like, oh, man, this guy is awesome. They wanted, he wanted them to see that God was awesome. That's what he wanted to do. So, if you're, if you're with me here, as a matter of fact, if you can, I want to put up um, 38 through 44. And we can kind of scroll through. I'm just going to read that, those three. <coughs> All right, starting, starting at John eleven thirty eight. 38. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone laid against it. In verse 39. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone, Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto the Lord, by this, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. So now they're trying to be like, man, why do you want us to take the stone away? He, he stinks, Lord. Verse 40. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. This is the King James Version. Verse 41. Then they took away the stone from the place where it was. This is where the dead man was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes. This is the beautiful part about giving glory to God. Even in all the power that he had, it was all about God. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Verse 42. And I know, he's still talking to God, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people which are standing by, it's for them that they're going to believe. That's why I said this. They're going to believe that you sent me. Verse 43. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Verse 44. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot, with grave cloths, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. And verse 40, that was it, verse 44. So the moral of the story there is that Jesus loves us. He wept for us. He wept for Lazarus. It grieved him. He cried. And he raised him from the dead. Miracles that he did to show the glory of the Father. And also he broke bread with Judas. <laughs> This is a good sign of love here, man, because Judas, Judas was a guy that walked with Jesus for years in Jesus' ministry, side by side, chilling. Like, Pastor, we're going to go evangelize today. City walk, all right, we're going to city walk. I mean, just years. The, what he, what, Jesus' ministry was three years, right? I don't know exactly when Judas came into the scene, but the first thing Jesus did was pick his disciples. So Judas was walking and chilling and talking and praising and loving and seeing all these miracles done with Jesus. And Jesus broke bread with him. And the thing that surprised me the most is that he didn't hurt Judas. He didn't beat Judas down, if you will. He didn't treat him badly, although he knew that Judas was going to be the one to betray him the entire time. John chapter 13, verse 26. You don't have to put it up. I'll, I'll just read it real quick. I'll probably beat you. Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give this piece of bread that I have dipped. And having dipped it, the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. He's talking about who's going to betray me. He said, somebody, some of these disciples, I got all y'all disciples here. And one of y'all are going to betray me. And they're like, 
yo, Jesus, who's going to betray you? Who, who's going to betray you here? And he said, whoever I give this bread to that I dip, that's the one that's going to betray me. And he gave it to Judas. And then it says that after he spoke to Judas, Satan entered Judas, and the story goes on. And then the disciples were a little bit confused, and they thought that he was doing something different. But Jesus knew what was going on. And he didn't beat Judas down. He broke bread with him. He didn't treat him bad. And this shows the love of God. God, Jesus, is the image of God. He promises to leave us peace in the Holy Spirit. See, God, Jesus didn't leave. He didn't just leave and just say, look, you guys are on your own, man. You guys seen what I did? Tighten up. He didn't say that. He said, I'm going to give you power over my Holy Spirit. And that's what he did. John chapter 14, verse 27. More stuff that Jesus did. Jesus did a lot of stuff. I didn't even write down everything. Jesus overcame the world. John 16, 33. Another great scripture. And the world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to go through some hard times. But be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus also prayed for his disciples, and he prayed for all believers. Yes, that includes you. And this was awesome when it smacked me in the face. John chapter 17, verse 20. This one here I want to read. In John chapter 17, verse 20, it says, I do pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Guys, do you guys know that you guys are just a part of a ministry that was created when Jesus Christ walked the earth? That's what you guys are a part of. Anyone who is trusting in Jesus, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, who is continuing to walk according to the scriptures, you are a part of that first church that was, that was, that was brought when Jesus walked the earth. Jesus walked the earth. He had these disciples. They all watched what he did. He gave them the Holy Spirit after he arose from the dead. They continued to preach the gospel. People got saved everywhere. They were persecuted. They all ended up getting killed. And people just kept getting saved. And churches just kept forming and building. And now you guys are here, and me. Jesus prayed for you. That's awesome. It's recorded in the Bible, Jesus praying for Bobby Bennett. Right here, it says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. I just thought that was awesome, so I got excited. John chapter 18, verses 10 and 11, he willingly goes to be crucified. This is another great example of God's love for humanity. God knew what needed to be done in order for you and you and you and you and you and me and pastor, everybody. He knew what needed to be done in order for you guys to have everlasting life, to spend eternity in heaven with him, worshiping him. He knew what needed to be done. He sent his son to do it, and because Jesus was faithful, Jesus went to be crucified willingly. While on the cross, he prays for God to forgive those who crucified him. <clears throat> Luke chapter 23, verse 34. This isn't in the book of John. This is the only one I had to get from a different gospel. Remember, it's four books. You guys can start there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Eyewitnesses account of Jesus. While on the cross... He prays for God to forgive those who crucified him. Luke 23, 34. I'm going to read this one, too, because this is pretty cool. I think all the Bible is really cool. Some of y'all make fun of me. Y'all need to repent. 2334, Luke. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do, and they divided his garments and cast lots. Guys, I almost did this. And maybe I should have, whatever. But I was going to bring, who, who in here has seen the Passion of the Christ? Anybody? Have you seen it? Raise your hand. You've never seen it, Marcus? Yeah. You've never seen it then? Y'all brothers, so he didn't see it. You probably didn't see it. Who did not see it? Raise your hand. It's a movie called The Passion of the Christ. Man. Remember those eyewitnesses accounts I'm telling you guys about, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And I said that these are eyewitnesses accounts of people that walk with Jesus, and they're the first four books of the New Testament. And if you are not reading the scripture and you think you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you are deceived. You need to repent and start reading those books and continue. That's what the passion of Christ is. It was a movie that was made by Mel Gibson a few years back, and it was the life story of Jesus. And he did his best to follow. Of course, he was from Hollywood, but... Most of it portrays what those scriptures are portraying. And it shows very graphically everything that Jesus suffered. 
It shows him being beaten, spit on, the crown of thorns, carrying the cross where he couldn't even carry it and somebody had to carry it for him. And you know, Mel Gibson, he was in Braveheart. And you know, that was a very, very graphic movie too. So he knows the lingo. He knows all the special effects. He knows what to do to make things look really, really realistic. And this movie, man, it painted such a picture of the crucifixion of Christ that you couldn't help but be burdened if you've seen that movie. And the, Jesus said in verse 34, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. If that's not love, then you guys need to go redefine your definition of love. Because this guy was beat down. This Lord, sorry, God. Jesus was beat down, spit on all of the above, and he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Also, the last thing that I have here that Jesus did that shows the, the, the God's love for humanity was while he was on the cross, he comforts his mother. And this is back in nine, uh, John chapter 19. 26 and 27, and his mother was Mary Magdalene, the, the, not Mary Magdalene, Mary mother of Jesus, and she was the Virgin Mary, she's his mom, and she's over there watching her son be crucified, and that was the last thing he did, he said, behold your son, he looked at his, at the, the disciple he loved, John, and he said, behold your mother, and that was a way of him saying, you know what, I'm comforting you, so um, that's what Jesus did, so God's love for humanity is shown in many different ways, from Genesis to Revelation, the ways that we just discussed was in creation. He forms you in his image and likeliness. He made you. He did not speak you into existence. His covenants that he's established with us, the covenant that exists now, which is the covenant of redemption, of salvation, through the blood of the Lamb. And then through the life of Jesus Christ, who's the image of God, and everything he did when he walked here on earth. Now, I have some very important scriptures that I want to share with you, and then I'm going to close. <laughs> All through the Bible, it's pasted. God reveals to us. He made sure that we knew. Nobody who hears this message tonight will have an excuse. I'm pressed to say nobody will, especially if you live in the United States of America. John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. This is probably one of the most famous verses. If you're not a Christian, if you don't love Jesus, you probably still know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God gave his son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's more to that. That's very good, too. That goes on in 17 and 18. But Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If we go back to chapter 6, I mean to verse 6, it says, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die. So some of y'all heroes in here, I know when I was in elementary school, I always wanted to be a hero. I always pictured myself going and saving the day. And now God has given me the opportunity to preach his word so that people can be saved from the wrath of God. Because that's what you save from. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely, it's very rare that a righteous man, the hero, will die for somebody. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even maybe dare to die if they're not a coward. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Remember what I said? I said that he willingly was crucified. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, communicating love here, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Ephesians 5, 2, I'm just going to keep reading and I'll, I'll bring it all home in a minute. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. 
1 John 3.16, By this we know, because he laid down his life for us, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. And this, the love of God, was manifested towards us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this, love. Not, we, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and he sent his Son to be the sacrifice, to be the propitiation, to be the substitute for our sins. In Revelation 1, 5, this is the last one. This is just part of it. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. We've all offended God, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all hurt his feelings by not doing what we were called to do. But it started before that. It started when you came out of the womb. We were born into sins, what the Bible says. And because this sin is like a disease, it's a part of us. There has to be. Remember, we have a just God. Let me explain something to you. Some of you guys think, oh, well, you know what, how come God just can't forgive us? You know, I do good things. Why can't God, you know, God's, God's a good God? Guys, listen up. If there was a rapist, a serial rapist, and he was raping everybody and their mother, and he raped, I mean, the whole Central Florida area, all right? The whole Central Florida area, and people were dying from this. Man, when this guy was caught, you guys would have him crucified. You guys would be off with his head. And if he walked into that courtroom and the judge said, I'm a loving judge, full of grace and mercy, you are free to go. Man, you guys would, that judge would be dead before he got off the stand. Not just you, but mankind would. We want justice. That, 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 you can't apply that. You can't apply that application and then not apply it to yourself. You can't apply that to, to your life. Or, oh, I want justice. I want God to just love me because I'm a good person according to my own standards. You know, I helped three ladies cross the road yesterday. And then whenever this guy right here is a rapist and he deserves to be killed because he's doing all these wicked things and you guys want justice and you want to get on a judge because he lets him go, you can't expect the same thing. You guys got to have the same standard. So... The reward, the wages of sin is death. Because we're born into sin, we're worthy of death. But what's the title of the message? God's love for humanity. He had it all worked out. And some of you might say, well, if God knew that people were going to sin... And they're going to die and be tormented in hell forever. Then why do you even create the world? If a mother of two children, or one or three, had a glimpse, a vision. And this is, this is just to give you an illustration. Because remember, we're humanity and God is God. He's deity. But if a mother had some children... And it was before her wedding day. No, she didn't have any children. But she was about to get married, and she had a vision that she had children with this spouse that she was going to be married to. And she seen that these children were going to bring her so much joy and love and happiness. And she just was so overwhelmed with joy. And she even seen them grow up in this vision. And she knew who their wives were going to be. And she knew they were going to be successful men because they loved God because they were boys. Successful men. And then they... And, they were, and then they had grandchildren, and, and it was just a happy life, and she was just so excited about it. But in addition to that vision, she also got another revelation that her spouse-to-be was going to be unfaithful. She would be faced with a decision. Now, this vision wasn't just an ordinary vision. It was something she knew. I know I'm going to have these children. I know they're going to be successful. I know they're going to bring me a lot of joy. I know they're going to be great people in this world. They're going to serve a great purpose. They're going to love God. And they're going to bring me grandchildren. I'm going to have more love and more joy. Fact. She knew it. This is a big if, all right? Come on, I'm stretching it out of here a little bit. I'm trying to give you an illustration. But then she also knew, fact, that her husband was going to cheat on her. Do you think that she would still marry that man? I believe so because I have children and I see the way my life, my wife loves my children. And I asked her this question on the way to church and she said, I don't know. 
And I said, I think you would. And I think that you would have the hope that your unfaithful husband would go to counseling and he would change. Even though God knows what's going to happen, I believe that my wife would because I know how much she loves those boys. God knew what was going to happen before the foundations of the world. He knew that sin was going to enter into man. He knew that it wasn't going to be his fault that, that man wanted to rebel. He knew that sin, that sin was going to enter into them. They were going to fall. They were going to need a Savior. So he was going to send Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is going to die for their sins. They are going to have an opportunity to live with God in eternity forever by submitting their lives to Jesus. He knew all that was going to happen. And he still did it. And that's the question some of you all might have. But he did it because he knew that although some would not turn their, from their wicked ways, some were. And the ones that were, were going to be with him forever. And to him it was worth it. Evil never trumps good. So with that said, As I said in my prayer, I really thank God that I have an opportunity to be here speaking to you guys. And I do not take lightly the task that I've been given to be able to speak to God's people. Because if you're here, you're here for a reason. I don't care what you think. You're here for a reason. I'm, I could be in Deltona speaking, but I'm here. You're here for a reason. If you are not right with God, if you're one of the individuals that say, you know what, I need to repent because I am walking by my own ways. And they're getting me over here and over here when the Bible's pointing right there. That spirit I'm supposed to be filled with, I know I can't be filled with it because I don't even know two books in the Bible. If you are not in love with Jesus and do not know Christ personally, please do not leave here without coming and talking to me, Pastor Vanessa, Pastor Aldo. Please, 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 and please, I plead for your life because guess what? And I ain't trying to scare nobody. I'm just trying to be real. Tomorrow ain't promised to nobody. That's it. God saved me and he can save you. With that said, I will um, close with prayer.